We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today. You're going to find your place in your Bibles. I'll be back there in just a few moments. But it's great to be here with you all and to see some friends. Uh, Dr. R has been a personal friend to me over the years. We've traded some books back and forth and always been a great encouragement. Brother Shetler, I've known him for a lot of years as well, a good friend. He did a lot of preaching for our kids in camp a lot of years. And then the Weavers, uh, good friends as well. Uh, they had a great part. I had two kids come here West Coast years ago. My oldest son, Jeremiah, was here for a one-year Bible degree, and he's currently an officer in the Air Force. My oldest daughter, Rachel, came as well, and she finished a music degree here and is doing nursing. She's an ER nurse in Tulsa, and they had good experiences here. It's a great help to their Christian life, and uh, it's just good to be with you all today. So Mark chapter 7, and uh, we're going to look uh, begin our reading in verse number 24. Let me invite you. I knew I had you stay, sit. Go ahead and stand with me. This is what I do at home. I don't know if you stand or sit when you read God's Word, but I'm going to have you stand today. That feels more normal to me. But it's a story, of course, that I think many of you be familiar with. And I want to draw your attention this morning to the encounter, the dialogue between Jesus and a lady who had come to him for need. It's not the kind of encounter that we might have expected. The language here is different than we might have supposed. But that is the source of the thought that I have today. So in that 24th verse of the 7th chapter of Mark, the Bible says, And from thence he, Jesus, arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it. In other words, he wanted to be alone, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. Father, I ask you the next few moments that, Lord, you would help us to see a truth here, a thought and a principle that could be a help to all of us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. I appreciate that. There's a story in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, that bears some striking similarity to the story in the text that we have just read this morning. In that text, an outsider from the nation of Israel, a man who was not part of God's covenant relationship with Israel, he was not a Jew, uh, was from a nation who had a long history of hostility towards God's people, the nation of Israel. This man was powerful, he was privileged, and he came to God and God's prophet in search for help and healing with the physical condition in his body. And in his search for help, this man met with an unexpected obstacle. When he went to help, he didn't know what the man of God might ask him to do. But what the man of God asked him to do was difficult. It, 
It required humility, uh, the, the diminishing of his pride. It was genuinely an obstacle to this proud man's heart. But after dealing with this obstacle that was within and not so much without, he came to God on the Lord's terms, not his own, and discovered this, that when faith and humility meet, then God's grace is always poured out towards that person. When humility and faith meet, they always encounter God's grace, even towards those, as this man was, who is undeserving. Now, we all know this man's name. His name was Naaman, and he was a Syrian captain. He was highly respected by his people. He was a great man. He was loved. But this man suffered from leprosy. But after hearing of God's miraculous power, he sought him out. But in so doing, he had to face a challenge bigger than the disease itself. It was the disease that was within. In a way, Naaman, like many people, is a plague by two diseases. There are conditions outside that challenge. And then all of us know this, there are the things within us that often are the greater challenges uh, to us in getting the things done that we should. In this account, in our text this morning, Jesus is meeting with what the Bible calls a Syrophoenician woman. And her encounter with the Lord, with God, echoes this story and reminds us of the necessity, once again, of faith and humility in order to receive the blessings of God. Often the limiting factor in us meeting with God's greatest blessings, again, is a power within us, an unwillingness to overcome pride within our hearts. So some context here. Jesus had just concluded, as he often did, another really busy season of ministry. Jesus would, would give himself to, to helping people and ministering. As we all know in the New Testament, um, Jesus often met with difficult encounters with the religious establishment of that day, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the scribes, the leaders of Israel. Uh, they, they often had these terse exchanges. And as we all know, those encounters can be depleting. Ministering to people, uh, while it's an incredible blessing, it can take something out of us. And, and that's what was occurring here with the Lord. He was just finished these teaching sessions, and now in a very established pattern, Jesus sought some space. He sought some solitude. As the text says, he, would, he wanted to be left alone, not so much because he, he didn't want to interact with people, but he just needed time to, to refresh his soul. He needed time with his heavenly Father. And to search for this solitude, he traveled outside Israel's borders to seek a quiet place, and the Bible tells us that quiet place were the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this was a region ruled by Syria. Again, a familiar refrain from Naaman. And it was filled, though, with what we call Hellenized Greeks. Now, these Greeks were not just your average citizens, but they would have been at the higher end of any socioeconomic status. They were highly educated. Most were uh, greatly religious. Uh, they, they were rich people and merchants, and they, we might call them, they were the sophisticated people of their day. And even in that environment, though, Jesus' fame preceded him. And after entering into a house meant to supply rest, which perhaps it did in time, the Bible tells us that a woman sought after the Lord. She, she came to look for him. And she came to the Lord 
like many people do, she had a need. Okay, she had a need. And, and sometimes, you know, that need is just a recognition of her own sinfulness. That's why maybe many of us came to Christ. Maybe we're in a, a, a perplexing situation in, in a relationship. You know, as we get older, then the finances can bear down on us. I, I suppose for you all, that, that can always be an issue as well. I, I don't know what it was, but a need, a great need, drove her to speak to the Lord. Just like Naaman, she required help. Now, despite her position and probable wealth, as sin does, sin found her out and her family as well. The Bible tells us she had a daughter that was possessed of an evil spirit. And this spirit was intent on destroying the little girl and, of course, her mother and all those who would be familiar with her. We would do the same thing, I think. If we knew there was a place we could go to solicit help for someone that we loved, we would, we would go there. And this mother did that. She went to Jesus, not for herself, but on her daughter's behalf. And she went asking for assistance, for help, for relief, that the Lord might be able to pull this demon out of her daughter, that her life might be whole again. Okay, so you know, we read the story, and this is how, this is how I, I look at it. As I read the text, there's two tensions for me. There, there are two tensions that I feel. One would have been felt much greater by the observers of the day. One is the tension that we feel being conditioned by our, our social climate. But the first tension would have been felt again by the observers of Jesus' day. And here's the thought. Despite her position and prominence within her community, this Syrophoenician woman was outside the covenant of God. She was not a Jew. She was what they would have called an outsider from a people who had no part in God's covenant and therefore no part of God's blessings and the blessings of Israel. They were not the recipients yet of God's blessings and grace. Furthermore, she was from a people that had been a historic enemy of Israel and these people disparaged the Jews. And all the Jews knew it. They knew that the Syrophoenicians had great pride. They knew that they were wealthy. They knew that they were from a, 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 probably a greater economic status. And, and the Jews knew that these kinds of people looked down on them as inferior, as, 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 as less than they were, not as intelligent. So the Jews knew that a woman like this one would have looked at them with contempt. They knew, the people knew that her request for help fell outside of Jesus' stated mission and purpose in coming to the lost sheep of Israel, the children of God. And so there's tension here. They're thinking, is he really going to help her? Though we know him now, the Lord, to be gracious to this point, the majority of the Lord's works had been done to the nation of Israel. And so this tension to the audience was probably palpable. Would he help a woman like this, much like maybe the Jews thought about the woman caught in adultery? Is, is she deserving? Can she really merit the, the, the touch of Christ? Would Jesus have anything to do with her? And the expectation of the people, of course, was no way. He wouldn't and he shouldn't. So there's that tension um, for them. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read the text, there's a little bit of tension for me as I, I read the words of the Lord. The second tension is the one that we bring to the story, 
And, and I don't know if it's even really intended by the Lord or the text, but we, we perceive it. And it comes when we read what Jesus said to this woman. And, you know, the way we maybe feel the way he said it to her, how Jesus speaks to this woman just seems a little out of sorts. It's what we might have perceived as derogatory, insensitive, ungracious. You know, we, we might be corrected for saying, well, you're a dog and therefore undeserving. This mother, in verse 26, comes to Jesus and seeks for help. What he says maybe doesn't meet with our immediate expectations. Now, the reason she comes, the reason all this can relate to again, she's coming for help because of, of a child who is sick. But in this verse, verse 27, in this, for me, hearing this sort of unexpected reply, initial reply from the Lord, it's, it's, um, it's a bit tough. Let the children first be filled, um, not the dogs. Now, it's obvious to someone of her Hellenistic education that Jesus was speaking of the privilege that she did not enjoy as a participant in the covenant with Israel. It was also, these words, a harsh reminder. I mean, immediate harsh reminder. She comes to him and he basically says, you're not a part. You're not part of the covenant. You're not part of the children. And you've not necessarily, to this point, been invited to the table. To the table. Grace was for the family of God. But Jesus goes on. That's not the end of it. He's not finished yet. He says, it's not good. It's not meat. It's the word he used. It's not seemly, right, or proper to give what was meant for the children to dogs. That would be like casting it away. Okay, now do you feel tension? And you, you, you understand what I, what I say when I mean that? Though many commentators have attempted to soften the verbal blow, the truth is dogs were, for the majority of the ancient world, creatures to be despised. They were scavengers, unclean, infested. They were to be avoided. They weren't like the household pets that many of us might have today. The Old Testament language is filled with the derogatory characteristics of dogs, and the New Testament shines no new favorable light upon them. It sees them, too, in a derogatory way. And as a whole, this is the way the Jews often referred to the Gentile world as dogs. And in so many words, that is what Jesus said to her. You're an outsider. You're not part of my mission. You should have no expectation of receiving something. And it's like, wow, you know, that's tension, especially for a lady who's come to help for her child. Now, what happens next is pretty amazing. And uh, because here's, here's, here's our nature, and maybe you're a better person. Our nature is this. If I went to Dr. R and I asked for help, and, you know, he gave me kind of a terse reply, a somewhat unkind reply, it'd probably be my nature to say, I'm out. Man, I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't need that. And our nature, well, we are so easily offended, aren't we? Some of you, okay, yes, we are. We're easily offended, and we walk away from people and relationships because of perceived slight or offense. 
But man, what, what she says next is incredible. And listen, her reply changes everything. And it's my guess that the Lord knew what her reply might mean, and he could use this for the occasion of the text that we're reading today. When she said the words, Yea, Lord, I know. I'm not one of the children of Israel, but, but Lord, even the dogs eat of the scraps that fall from the table. <laughs> she overcame the greatest obstacle that was keeping her from receiving the blessing. And it wasn't the disease of the child. It wasn't her position as a Syrophoenician. The obstacle was this. It was her own pride. To come down from her haughty place that her position would have given her and to listen to someone say something difficult and yet persist through it because knowing that he had the power to do something for her. Theologically, the reality was the Gentile world stood outside in, looking in upon the covenant of God. That would change in time as we know, and that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it was fulfilled in the New. But as the Word of God would unveil, uh, blessings weren't given because of nationality, but in time, blessings were only forfeited because people wouldn't come to God in faith. But God's grace was there for everyone. And the text reveals that salvation, yes, came for the Jews, and yes, in sadness, the people of God would reject that. The Pharisees and scribes fought that. The disciples couldn't quite figure it out until after his resurrection. But in time, the power and grace of God found its way to the Gentile world, and the Lord Jesus Christ is revealing that in this Syrophoenician woman's life. And here's what is amazing. This woman grasped the power, the position, the place in the person of Christ, even though the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the disciples could not. The Lord was amazed like he was at the Roman centurion. I've not seen faith like this. No, not even in Israel. He was amazed all that this woman understood about herself and what she understood about him. So instead of arguing with him, she, in humility, accepted her place, a dog, an outsider, and undeserving, but... She also believed in God's grace. She also believed that if her faith persisted, the Lord would answer. And here's the phrase I guess I want you to think about. She was willing not only to come to the table, but she stayed at the table, even when it was difficult to do so. I don't fully understand this encounter, and, and probably in the context of the day, it may have made more sense in some ways, these words. But there are lessons here for all of us, and they are like this. God rewards faith. The Lord rewards persistence. God gives grace to the what? To the humble. And for all those who are willing, even through difficulty, to stay at the table. There's no need for anyone who ever comes to Christ to leave empty. 
When we come to Christ, we may not find all that we expect. Maybe not all that we want to happen will happen in the moment. Maybe we, we, we commit ourselves to, to come to school here, and yet the finances, it's just a struggle, and they're not coming. And there's relationships at home, and I misunderstood, and things are difficult. And I just thought if I came to the table, I'd have all these blessings, but it just seems like in my approach to the table, I'm finding some struggle and difficulty, and it's harder than I wanted and I thought it would be. We often bring our concerns and needs to, to Jesus, to the table of grace, but while we're there in the moment, we don't understand what God is doing. We do not understand his timing, the difficulty of often waiting. So we, we leave prematurely. We meet with resistance, we meet with difficulty, we meet with trial, and we bump up against it. And I, I want you to just get this visually. It's like the blessings right there. It's on, it's on the wood, but I'm right here on this side on the carpet and, and, and I'm in the struggle. And, and Jesus just wants us to see us take one more step, just fight through one more difficulty. He, he wants to see us that we had genuine faith, that maybe this is the demarcation of, of my pride and this is humility. This is where you know, my human effort stops and grace begins. But God wants me to say, Lord, I'm going to stay even if it means getting scraps and take that step to take that step. It's not God's intent that we ever leave the table empty. But so many people come to the Lord like the rich ruler. He starts out great, then wow, there's something required of me and I'm out. And so many people came to the table, they wanted what Jesus offered, but when he talked about discipleship and he talked about difficulty, he talked about burying his cross and, and, and doing some hard work and you might you have to lose your life in order to find it. So many people just stayed right here and they wouldn't go forth. But in doing so, they gave up so much. They gave up so much. If the woman would have left, the child would have been healed. If Naaman wouldn't have been dipped seven times in a river they didn't even like, he would have kept his leprosy. The encouragement today is do not leave the table prematurely. I know that what God asks of us sometimes is hard. Sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer with a real need, a genuine concern, but it felt like we were met with a little bit of resistance and difficulty. Things weren't yielding as fast as we wanted. The provisions weren't coming as quickly. There's a struggle. We all know that feeling, every Christian does, we're all alike. We know what it is not to find the answers immediately. And we have to be reminded that God makes everything beautiful in His time. And God's got the bigger picture of you, he, he knows. But those feelings, all of us can relate to this woman. I need help. And what you're asking me to persist through, this commentary is hard. When God doesn't work in a way that we understand, when he doesn't meet our expectations, when he lets us sit for a while in the struggle, when he, when he tests our humility, too often, otherwise good people beg off and they leave the table prematurely. God honors both faith and humility. Often the substance and evidence of our faith is the humility that is de demonstrated in times of challenge and hardship. You see, pride 
is not just arrogance or conceit or self-centeredness, but pride is also being presumptuous, demanding, and insistent that th things be done my way and the way I want them and the timetable I want to be done. <clears throat> but that's not how humility works. And if you haven't discovered this yet, that's how God often works in making us wait or go through a challenge. Not to diminish us, quite the opposite, but to build us, to strengthen us. Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1. It's after the difficulties that the, that the beauty of the gift and the growth occurs. For Naaman, his pride almost kept him from his miracle. When God asked of him something that he couldn't, <clears throat> forgive me, understand. When, quite frankly, it wasn't about the river. It was about humility. Right. Humility is not only shamefacedness, modesty, self-deprecating the right way, but humility is enduring. It's persevering. It's, it's not expecting and doesn't demand anything in return for the bowing. It's not doesn't believe it deserves something. This woman was humble. Her faith was demonstrated through the humility of saying, Lord, I know I'm an outsider. Lord, I know I'm unworthy. Lord, even if we are dogs, Lord, you and you alone have the power to help me. She didn't make it about her. No, she made it about him and his grace. She didn't make it about her struggle, but his ability that's what she persisted to believe in. And today, I, I want to encourage you young people. I don't know what it's like. Man, I'm, I'm old enough now. I'm 57. It's been a long time since I went to school. I'm not living the context of the history that you guys do. I don't know what it's like, what troubles there might be in persevering, in, in being here and, you know, finishing four years, struggling through maybe some financial issues. You know, people are people. There's always relationship, and, and there's these rubs we have. People are inherently dangerous, so we, we, we crash each other. But hey, look here. Don't leave the table early. Don't leave the table early. Don't, don't, don't stop just short of, God, I'll take the crumbs. Lord, I take the trial. I'll take the difficulty, but Lord, I... I'll take the crumbs because, you know what? She didn't just get the crumbs. She got a miracle Amen. that changed her life and her daughter's life forever. And now think about this. It's a text we're reading about 2,000 years later. What a reward for the Syrophoenician lady. And only God knows the calculated interest of her faith and reward today. If you're here this morning and you have a need, you have a concern, Maybe you're here and you know you feel unworthy. You've not, you've not lived the life you know that you should have lived. You feel a little bit outside. You're navigating some trouble alone. Hey, don't leave early. Stay at the table. If you don't understand God's answer, just keep asking. Learn what lessons there, but don't walk away. And let's all do this. Let's realize that the greatest challenge we're going to ever face in our life is not out there. The greatest challenge and obstacle we're ever going to face as a Christian, it's always going to be in here. In the heart, in the mind, 
has to yield and bend to God. Pride has to be diminished and humility sought after.